Hey guys, this is Christopher Sean, aka Kazuriziono, and you are listening to Radio Dakar. Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to Resistance, The Mandalorian, and more. All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Radio Dakar. I'm your host, Doug Brooks, and this is a very special episode where we get to go into the writer's room on Star Wars Resistance. Uh, longtime listeners of the show will know that that show was the reason I started this podcast, so I could have a new show to review for Star Wars. And we got two memorable seasons, a lot of great characters and moments, and very pleased to have one of the writers from the show on today to talk about it. Um, he's got an extensive background in animation that we'll talk about as well. Uh, please welcome Gavin Hignite. Hey, so hi, Doug, and uh, hey, everybody listening. Um, wow, I didn't realize that this uh, particular show launched out of Resistance. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, when I decided I wanted to do a Star Wars podcast, it was right around the same time the show started, and I thought this would be a great way to kick it off. And plus, since it's a, it was very much geared towards kids, um, with my little ones coming up, I thought it would be uh, great to go in depth on it. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think as, as people probably kind of started to realize as season one was winding down and, and leading into season two, you know, we were careful to make it, you know, it was made for kids, but, you know, you or myself, someone our age group would enjoy it too. It was like, you know, trying to... Very hit, much so, yes. Yeah, hit everybody, you know, get everybody, something for everyone. Um, but yes, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Resistance today. Oh, yeah. Um, but before we get to that, um, if you don't mind telling us, uh, how did you get into TV writing, like in an animation? Uh, yeah, so... Oh, geez, I would love to tell you it's just because I was discovered, you know, from my brilliance, but <laughs> I was, it was not, I was, um, uh, you know, it was, it was a pretty long, odd journey and, and I got lucky. Um, but, you know, I think when I did get lucky, uh, you know, I had some material to, to present. Uh, I had moved out to LA to pursue film, uh, almost right out of high school. Uh, I grew up in Colorado and I, I came out to LA and um, I actually, you know, the, the long-term career goal was, and, and actually kind of still is, you know, I want to make uh, films uh, like my heroes are people like, you know, uh, John Carpenter and uh, uh, David Cronenberg and Jim Jarmusch. And uh, so I, you know, really wanted, I always have my eye on, I want to make film and, uh, when I was younger, I didn't have the resources to make film. Uh, but the one part I could I could do no matter what, no matter my budget, is write. Um, so you know, I, I had attended. I was very lucky. I was able to attend a film school uh, during high school. And uh, aside from it, probably um, keeping me in school because I, I probably would have dropped out without that creative outlet. Um, 
you know, put me on, it got my head thinking in terms of scripts and stuff at a very early age. And so when I came out to LA and I didn't have a lot of connections or I didn't know people, I was just doing whatever odd, weird job I could to survive. But I was always writing. It was always in my head. I always had stories I wanted to tell. And, uh, you know, I, I made a few crappy little short films with no budget. And it was very frustrating um, because I was competing against, you know, uh, people who are students at like USC and UCLA and, uh, you know, making these beautiful you know, films for 50K and 60K. And my $2,000 short film that I killed myself to make just couldn't compete. Um, but I was also a big comic book fan and I, I've been a lifelong, you know, what we now call fanboy or, you know, uh, as they were calling us back in the day, nerds. And, uh, my love for all this genre stuff was still there and I was still trying to write my own. And I thought, well, I'm going to make a comic book because if you make, and I was very specifically uh, uh, inspired by Eastman and Laird, which is funny because then I went on to got to, you know, I got to write Ninja Turtles. Um, but yeah, so I was working on a comic book that I was going to self publish and make. And uh, I, the whole time had been working out, at a Kung Fu school. Uh, this is funny, uh, for about nine years. And, you know, when you're in that environment, you're just there for the art and you're not talking about your day and you're not talking about your day job. But it, it just so happened that I had been working out with Mike Ryan, who is a you know, writer and a producer and head writer. And he was working on Ninja Turtles, uh, from 2003, 2004, it was the four kids entertainment, um, production of the show. I think they call it 2000 X is like the nickname, but, uh, I was showing him this comic book I was working on and, uh, he gave me a break. He, he thought, Oh, this kid might be able to do it. And he, I think he would, you know, had maybe a writer drop out or something and he was in need of a freelancer to come in. And so that's how I got my first script. And, uh, I would like to say from then, you know, I was a writer, but I wasn't. It actually took six years till um, I got hired for my next show, uh, which was Brandon Allman, who had brought me on. to, And I had known Brandon. Uh, him and I were very like-minded. Um, uh, you know, we love all the same stuff, and we were always talking. And he was keeping an eye on my career. And, and when he went into, you know, showrunner mode on Iron Man Armored Adventures – uh, he was, you know, good enough to give me a shot. And that kind of started my relationship, uh, with Marvel. And, and then from there, just the ball started rolling. So I hope that's not too long winded, but that's, that's my, I was working out and doing Kung Fu at the right time with the right person. And, um, you know, I had some stuff to show him, uh, even though I hadn't, didn't have professional, professional credits. And, uh, I'll, and he gave me a break and I'll never, ever forget that. You know, uh, those little breaks are so important and, uh, I'm always going to be, you know, thankful to, uh, Mike Ryan for doing that. Um, and then I, I'm thankful, you know, I've, I've got to do a lot of stuff, but I'm always thankful when people consider me, uh, for writing work because, um, it's, it's, you know, it's a gift to be able to do that and say, this is how I'm making a living. That's really awesome. Yeah, I was uh, w uh, wondering what your first show was. So, so it was Turtles uh, yeah. back in the day. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, what's funny is that 
then years later, um, you know, after Iron Man and, and doing that stuff with Marvel and various other things, uh, Brandon went on to join Ciro on Turtles. And, uh, you know, oh, man, that was the best. I, I have so much love for that version of the show and that version of the Turtles. It was it was like a big you know, mutant family. <laughs> I, was, I was part of the extended family of, of that mutant, uh, you know, the mutants. And uh, I'm always going to look back on on those days in writing with very, very fond memories. That's awesome. Um, so before Resistance, what other shows did you do? Uh, let me think. So, uh, you know, I, I was, I worked on the, 2012 Ninja Turtles uh, with you know Brandon and Ciro and uh, you know a few other people who who had a chance to do some resistance like uh, you know Kevin uh, Burke and Doc Wyatt uh, and uh, uh, Mark Henry um, but yeah so Marvel uh, got to do some really fun stuff you know uh, Ultimate Spider Man uh, got to do Avengers Assemble. Uh, I think the, the oddest thing, uh, you know, cause I, a lot of my stuff is like, you know, comic book cartoon, you know, sci-fi related, but I think the, the oddest thing I've written is uh, I did a episode of lost in Oz <laughs> and that one kind of doesn't necessarily fit in, but it was fun for me. Cause it was just a different, you know, it was a little younger age group that I'm used to writing. And, uh, you know, the, the wizard of Oz stuff is pretty, uh, is pretty trippy. And in that particular production, you know, those guys are really cool. So it was, that was a fun, different kind of gig for me. Um, but honestly, I think I would have to look, well, you know, um, gosh, it, and it all starts to blur a little bit. Um, I think Transformers Cyberverse was around the time of resistance. Uh, you know, uh, the, the poor people you talk to in animation, their, their brains are all broken because we work a year and a head, <laughs> a year and a half ahead on scripts. So often, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, uh, it just, like I said, it, you'll be working on something completely different and new if, you know, if, if you're lucky enough, um, when something you worked on finally comes out. Um, so, uh, I, I can't remember, which one of those started first, but anyways, I don't want to ramble. Um, the Marvel stuff really was a, a, an awesome chapter before. Um, and it's, it's continued. I actually just did, uh, we have a series that premiered two months ago, a Lego Marvel Avengers on YouTube called climate, uh, conundrum. And I'm super proud of that. That was a really fun, uh, you know, I've worked with Marvel before, but I haven't worked with Lego and Marvel. And they were great partners and a really great team to work with. Nice. We'll have to check that out on YouTube. Yeah, please do. Um, yeah. I think that it's, we worked really hard to make something that would motivate young minds to think about climate solutions, you know, and, and, and to battle the climate crisis, but not, you know, scare the hell out of them at the same time, you know? So, <laughs> um, I, I really, like I said, Lego was really proactive about, um, you know, how they see young minds and how they want to inspire people and treat them, you know, cause kids are smart. I think kids are a lot smarter than, and people treat them often. 
And uh, it was really cool working on the Lego Marvel team because they acknowledged that. And um, I think that it, it shows in what we were able to accomplish with uh, climate conundrum. Nice. <clears throat> Just out of curiosity, when you're writing, uh, what age uh, child do you have in mind for these shows? Uh, you know, it depends on the show. Um, it's interesting you ask that because I think for the last 10 years of my career, I've been locked into, um, you know, 13, 14 years old, you know, uh, maybe as young as 10, you know, they, they used to call it boys action category. <clears throat> and I think that that's a, kind of an antiquated term because now they realize that girls like this stuff just as much as boys. Um, I think that my head is always kind of on my stuff. Um, and my favorite films were always kind of in that PG 13 zone. So I think that's kind of where my brain rests. Um, you know, like, you know, I, like, probably like yourself, you know, I grew up on stuff like Temple of Doom and, uh, you know, Goonies and stuff like that, where I feel like kids can handle a little more than, you know, but it's usually dictated by the company. And especially if there's like a product, you know, if there's a toy line involved or a big IP. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, it's interesting though, because now things are shifting. Uh, I've worked the last year on some projects that are very much adult animation um, more like in the anime category. Uh, and that's been fun for me because, uh, uh, you know, I get to have scarier monsters and, you know, people getting punched in the face and, uh, you know, the language is a little bit different. Um, but most of the stuff, you know, like resistance, I don't know, 12, 12 and up because, you know, people like us like it too. Right. Right. Yes. <laughs> Uh, cool. Um, all right. So yeah, you already mentioned Brandon Allman. Um, yeah, he's the best. So my, my, so my next question was how you got hired on to resistance, but I'm guessing that's the answer. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I am very, very, uh, proud of the fact that, you know, I, I'm one of the, the people he was able to introduce to the Lucasfilm team and, you know, they saw, you know, they saw that, uh, I could participate in, in their universe, uh, growing up, you know, star Wars in the theater and especially empire strikes back are some of my first film memories. And, uh, a day did not go by that. I just, you know, was like, I got to pinch myself. Right. I, I can't believe we're doing this. Uh, especially, um, I think the second episode I worked on with that team, we were breaking the story at Skywalker ranch and it just, you know, it was such a dream come true um, for someone who's loved the universe for so long. But yeah, so, you know, my, uh, uh, myself and, and a, like I said, a few of the other writers who had worked with Brandon before who he, he knows how we jive, right? He knows how we're going to behave in the room. He knows how we're going to spin ideas back and forth. Um, he knows what we bring to the table. Uh, and like I said, he, he pitched us and, uh, the team at Lucasfilm said yes, and I'm always, always going to be thankful for that. So what is a writer's room for Star Wars like? Uh, intimidating. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, the best way for me to sum it up, you know, I, I was working with um, 
usually, you know, on, on shows like this, you're, you're working and, and you're like, oh, so-and-so, that person is the smartest person in the room, right? You have that feeling. You can tell, oh, that's, but on this stuff for uh, resistance, it was like everybody was the smartest person in the room. And uh, it was very intimidating, to be honest, uh, to be around such um, really savvy, smart people who, who analyze story and character and also just know their universe so well. But the thing that was so cool about it is that the ego was not there. You know, it, it, it was intimidating until we got into the work and we were talking about the characters of the show and um, you know, it, I've not really dealt with that many difficult pers- personalities uh, in animation, uh, luckily. Um, but the the vibe up at Lucasfilm is is that much more better than anything in like LA I've done. Uh, you really, when you're up there, you really understand. I think why you know uh, George Lucas created this campus up there and why he you know they're creative there instead of here um it's just such a um i don't know just a, a environment conducive to being open about creativity and not being afraid to be creative you know that someone's going to shut down your idea or make you feel like an idiot uh is the exact opposite in those writers rooms so um i miss it to be honest um you know, now in COVID, we're doing writer's room via Zoom. It's exhausting. Uh, it's not as personal. Uh, it's, it gives me a headache, to be honest, to be on video conferencing all day, uh, if I'm doing that. Um, and I really look back to those, uh, those trips up there to do the writer's room fondly. Um, you know, usually you have two or three writers. You have the head writer. Uh, and then you have the producers and, uh, like I said, and, you know, um, the, I, I, some of the people who've gone on, you know, who are now doing Mandalorian now, um, it's when I see how great it is and I just love it every week, it's not a surprise to me because I see some familiar names on it and, uh, I just, I'm like, oh yeah, well, well, no wonder it's so good because, you know, like uh, Carrie Beck is, is, for example, um, you know, when I see her name on the credits of Mandalorian, I'm like, well, yeah, um, that's why it's great because she was great in the room. It's brilliant, you know. And don't get me started about Dave Filoni. Like sitting in a room with him was amazing. He's it's like uh, it's like getting paid to go up and, and be in film school and learn for three days. You know, he would come in. Uh, cause he was busy on other projects, but he, whenever he was in the room, it felt like star Wars film school. And I was, I couldn't believe it. He's a very smart and very nice man. Oh, I would totally pay to sit in on that. Oh, I would too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, the insight that he brings and the, uh, way he's able to communicate it. Um, I've not met many like him. Uh, I, Brandon is like that too. Um, maybe that's why there's that synergy there, you know what, maybe that's why they brought Brandon in because uh, he is very much the same way about his, how he communicates story ideas and, and builds and lets people, other people build and then enhances it. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's no wonder that, um, you know, George Lucas, uh, trusted so much with Dave Filoni because he's, 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 uh, a master at storytelling, but like, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Right. But I did see it up close and personal. <laughs> no, we always like to hear that perspective of it. Yeah. And he's a heck of a nice guy, you know? Seems like it. Yeah. Um, now we'll get into each of the episodes you wrote, but it, you had me thinking, um, since this show was unique in that it was happening concurrently with the new trilogy, did Dave and the others emphasize like, okay, keep in mind, this is happening at, at, at this point in conjunction with the movies, or did they not worry about that too much in the room? Uh, you know, uh, a lot of that was often settled before we would get in. Um, so I think the kind of version of that, that, that we dealt with would be like, because everything was, you know, um, carefully protected and siloed, um, for obvious reasons, um, because, you know, uh, you just can't let stuff leak. Uh, and you know, everyone wants to know what's happening with star Wars. So it would be more like we would be talking about something and there would be someone in the room that would be like, uh, we can't take it there. And I can't tell you why, <laughs> but let's just say um, we can't do that. So let's try this. Right. Um, that would happen a few times. So um, there were people there who knew exactly, you know, what was going on, you know, to steer us clear or to make sure our continuity, you know, was okay. Um, uh, Pablo, uh, who would come in and, and help us with continuity stuff. Uh, super, also super nice guy. Um, it's clear he, he had a, you know, always knew the big picture and was careful to, you know, help us where we were at. Um, but yeah, you know, the kind of how it works on a lot of shows, and, and this is not different is that, you know, the head writer and the producers, they kind of come up with a structure. They know, you know, okay, this is what the season's going to look like. Um, we're going to break, you know, say we're going to break six episodes, you know, with these writers. Um, so the, you know, the parameters are there and the, some of the structures there. And then the team as a writer's room goes in and really digs in and fills up the details. And then someone walks away and puts it up down on paper. And then the head writer and the producers note it. And then, uh, you know, you do that a couple more times and, and then it starts to turn into what people are going to see. Okay. Um, yeah. So let's just move on to each of the ones you did. You did sure. four episodes over the course of two seasons. Uh, your first one was uh, Sonara's score, which uh, for those uh, who, you know, it's been a couple of years since that episode aired. Uh, that was the first time we see Sonara on the Colossus and reporting to Kragan. And that's when uh, the, def the cannons are down on the ship on the oh, station. Yeah. So they have the pirate attack and Yeager and Kaz have to repair it at the end. Um, anything memorable you remember uh, from writing that one? Um, you know, Sonara, I, I'm so, I'm, I'm like very protective over her. I love that character um, because I, I got to, I got to take part on the team that, that really, you know, like you said, it was her first, really when you see her speaking and her personality. And um, I got to work on a, two very Sonara heavy episodes. And so I felt very, you know, very much part of the DNA and, and the team that got to create her. 
Um, so I'm very, very fond of her and her journey and her arc throughout the whole series. Um, I, I think probably for that episode, the, the, my favorite part was Jaeger. Uh, he's one of my favorite characters I've ever gotten to write. And, um, just seeing him be a badass and, and get the, the cannon installed and, uh, his relationship with Kaz, um, I think was very important to me. Uh, he felt like, you know, kind of like father figure, um, that I think I was longing for. Um, and so anytime you have those moments with him and Kaz, I really enjoyed, you know, if I got to write them, um, you know, a real emotional connection to that relationship. Yeager was my favorite character of the first season. So I'm glad oh, awesome. you mentioned that. And, you know, episodes like this are the reason. Um, now, I've got to ask when they're having the fight and he yells, get off my lift, did you lift that from Air Force One? <laughs> you know, I think that that might have been a Brandon, uh, uh, one that Brandon punched up. And I, and I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah, cause I, uh, oh man, I, I, yeah, I don't think I can take credit for that one. I think that that one was a punch up. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, um, the, the other one was, uh, when they don't want Sonara to know what they're working on. So Kaz is telling her it's a food steamer. Was, was that all you, uh, you know, I, I believe so. Yeah. I, that one, that joke was definitely come up. We, we built that one up in the room and, uh, you know, when we're in a writer's room, like that bantering, it does really start to blur who said what, but I know that that one came out of the room for sure. And, uh, whether nice. I threw it out or not, I don't know. <laughs> you, I find it it's safer just to say we all did it <laughs> all the okay. time. All right. Unless, unless there's something I'm very, very specific. I'm like, I did that, but, you know, it is such a, what do they say? It takes a village. Um, yeah. That, uh, yeah. Um, but I did, I, I love that joke. Um, and I'm glad that it landed because apparently you, you know, you enjoyed it enough too. <laughs> yes. And Christopher Sean's delivery. Oh yeah. Just took it over the top too. He's, he's the best. I, uh, I'm, you know, one of my favorite things about resistance is just the really cool people. Um, who came together to make it, who I got to know. And, you know, I'm still in touch with him. Uh, he's an amazing human. And uh, it's funny because I, I, I think when we met, I just, I was like, oh, that's Kaz. <laughs> it's Kaz. Uh, I think I'm now, I'm like, oh, it's Christopher Sean. Um, but for a long time, I, I couldn't separate the two. Yeah, uh, we were lucky enough to meet him at a convention uh, here locally. And just, yeah, he's tremendous. Uh, Susan McGrath. Oh, yeah, she's great. And I've got to, got to interview Marta Velasco, so, you know. Yeah. The, th the, the three, like the, you know, um, like Tam, God, that, the, the dynamic and the relationship with Tam is definitely one of the things that I thought was so um, just amazing about that show. Um, and, you know, going into season two, being able to see for the first time, really, you know, oh, this is what it's like to be a bad guy, right? Like, um, it was really cool to explore that through her and to understand that the situation wasn't black and white, that it was very gray. Um, 
uh, amazing voice actress. Um, but yeah, just the, the whole little, you know, the little team fireball, um, all that voice talent, uh, really awesome people on as characters and off camera. They really are. Uh, just everyone I've interacted with from the show has been amazing. You included. Ah, well, I, I, I'm doing my best to keep up with them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now you did mention you had another scenario episode, uh, the Doza dilemma. Yes. Which, uh, just a few episodes later, uh, that was the one where they finally carried through the plan um, Sonara helped to compromise Captain Doza to hand over some control of the Colossus to the First Order, and that includes the kidnapping of Tora and the introduction of uh, the pirate ship. Yeah. Um, any any memories from that one? Yeah, that one um, was I was very excited because of the character stuff. You know, to me, that my favorite my favorite part of the episode is actually. Um, the, the kind of the first fourth, maybe third of the episode, when you see that Tam is, is looking for a friend, you know, she's, she's, she needs, uh, people and you, and you see this like dynamic between her and Sonara. And, and I love that it was, you know, it's, it's aimed at kids, but it was sophisticated enough, um, for, uh, Kaz and Tam to kind of be, fighting over Sonara in a, in a way. Uh, and then at the same time to show Sonara getting, you know, to know Tora and, and having this person who is like a commodity to her, um, you know, for a operation it, being humanized, you know, um, I loved how conflicted Sonara was uh, in that episode and just the kind of slice of life, you know, these are, you know, these are not like the, Luke Skywalker's of the universe, right? Like these are smaller players on this little planet filled with water, um, but they matter. And, and I liked that. The scene with uh, Sonara and Tora and Tam and Kaz playing a video game. Yeah. I mean, that's the most down to earth kid friendly scene probably in the whole series. Yeah. I was really, really um, that that's definitely what I'm talking about. Like, it was a joy to be able to uh, work on that. Um, and, you know, one of the things that was so awesome about working on Resistance is, you know, because I've worked on uh, other projects that are cool, but it's a lot of action, you know, and it's just fighty, 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 you know, have a one-liner, you know. And it was a real nice shift crafting these stories on Resistance because, um, you know, you're going to get some cool action. Um, but you know, the most important part were the character dynamics. Um, and I think, you know, star Wars is so, it's so flashy with the lightsaber fights and the X-wing battles and, the you know, in our, maybe, you know, the, the races and stuff like that in our show. Um, but none of that, it's all held together by emotional glue and characters that you care about and characters who are going through stuff. Um, and, you know, it, as a writer, it was as enjoyable to explore what those characters were going through, hopefully, as it was for audiences watching. And then there's a cool lightsaber fight or, you know, a cool, uh, you know, um, speeder fight or something. So uh, before we move on, um, 
the online fans, they liked shipping Sonoran Kaz. They also shipped Sonoran Tam. Uh, by the end of the series, which side were you on? Oh, geez. Um, well, <laughs> the thing about Sonara, Sonara's going to do what Sonara wants to do. So I don't know if it, <laughs> like what, what I care matters. Um, but I love that, that it can be either of them. That I think to me is what's important about it is that um, either of those shippings there makes sense. You know, you can't deny either. And I think that that's a, a step forward for the type of storytelling we're doing. Nice. So uh, your next episode happened in season two, and this one was a lot of fun. The Vox Vortex 5000. Yes. Uh, where it's the, they need some money. They um, hype goes to Frankie the Blue. Yeah. Uh, the hut uh, at the hut casino. And it's about racing and trying to make some money. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here I was just talking about, oh, it's all about the characters and, you know, who cares about the action? And, and then let me tell you how much I liked exercising my action chops on that asteroid race. (laughs) It's like, um, it was a blast. I, 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 I think one of the things, uh, I've, I, I hopefully have been able to do in, in my career so far is, is, uh, on the page orchestrate action in a way that, you know, I, I think that it's, man, I don't want to like, I think I'm good at it. I, I think that, that I figured out ways to communicate action via script. Uh, you know, I think, I think if there's a strength I have, it's there. And, um, boy, that asteroid, uh, cha- uh, uh, race was a challenge. Um, because you know, you're, you're calling a lot of the, the, shots and stuff on paper, um, to help, uh, you know, at least in, in that case, I was trying to do, I was trying to get the, the storyboard team and the director off to a good start. So, you know, we really were very hyper-focused on that script on writing the races where they made a lot of sense and were very exciting. Um, and then that team, you know, your board team on that show and the animators and the director make it next level. Like anything we thought we did that was cool, they make it even cooler. And so, uh, and then of course I haven't seen it. Right. Um, it takes so long to animate like a year and a half later, it's like I've seen it for the first time. And so seeing the races was as exciting for me as I think, um, you know, people who had not seen or wrote it. Um, and then, (laughs) <laughs> I remember when we we had met and we we were breaking these and stuff. I remember Brandon was like, you know, what what would you think about doing a, the episode with the hut in it? And I, I'm sure he saw like my eyes, you know, expand and like uh, steam shoot out of my ears because I was like, hell yeah, I want to write a hut. <laughs> uh, did you base Frankie off anybody? Um. Not really. Um, you know, I think that the, uh, he, some of the, you know, he's definitely a scoundrel. Right. And we were kind of going for that. And if I remember right, did they get John DiMaggio to voice? They him? did. Yeah. I mean, it's like we wrote it for him. Right. He, uh, he was perfect. Yeah. yeah. He's perfect. So, um, I don't know if that was always the plan. Uh, you know, voice casting is, as they say, above my pay grade. So 
you know, I don't pay too much attention to who guest characters would be and stuff. You know, I'm of course going to focus on, you know, the, all the regulars of the show and, and try to understand their voices. Um, but yeah, I mean, they couldn't, and I'm a big fan of his. He's, he's awesome. Um, so, uh, he's Bender. How can you not love I know, him? right? How can you not love Bender? Well, you know, it's funny, uh, before I, um, before, you know, I've had many, many odd jobs, man. And I was working at a delivery grocery store at night um, when I was, uh, you know, get, picking up my first freelance scripts and stuff. And he was a customer. <laughs> oh, wow. John DiMaggio would call in and order groceries. And, uh, you know, he, he sounds a little bit like Bender when he calls. <laughs> so you'd be like, <laughs> oh, my God, Bender's ordering groceries. But he was a uh, super cool customer and, like, always treated our delivery drivers, like, well. Um, so that always makes me a bigger fan of someone, right? Like, um, he was already like awesome voice actor. Um, and then like, when you know, they're like a cool, cool dude. So, um, you know, having people who I, I really admire voice characters, you know, uh, on turtles, uh, we had David Tennant, uh, voice of fugitoid. And, uh, that was like a Christmas present for me, you know, or, um, uh, one of the Avengers I did, you know, Mark Hamill did a voice and, you know, this stuff's all compartmentalized. It's not like I'm in the studio and I'm hanging out with these people. I get to meet them, but just knowing that, you know, amazing talented folks such as that are reading something that you put down on paper. That's a real treat. Fun fact. John DiMaggio was also the original voice of general Grievous. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Um, so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, if people out there, if you haven't seen the uh, what, Tartakovsky, Tartakovsky yeah, those are yes, so cool. The, the original Clone Wars yeah. cartoon, watch those, and that was his first appearance. Yeah, they're like, what, like maybe like five-minute episodes? Uh, I think the first season was, and then I think for the second season that led into Revenge of the Sith, it was like 15. Okay, so yeah. yeah. I just remember uh, when those hit, I was like this – this is what I want. I want more of this. And then, you know, we got the Clone Wars cartoon. Um, and I was like, I want more of that. <laughs> um, but I love those shorts, man. The, um, the one with the, uh, God, um, it was like the underwater one, the water planet one with the Mon Calamari and the, uh, was it the Rees guys or the, I can't remember. But anyways, the one, the one that showed, I think it was, Mace, it was a Mace Windu-focused episode. It, it kind of blew my mind. <clears throat> yeah. Um, oh, Kit Fisto was in that one, I think. And yeah, Mace Windu was great on that show, too. Yeah. You remember those toys? They made figures for him? Yes. I uh, I bought the Yoda on the, well, on horseback. Right, yeah. From the very first shot. And then also the Obi-Wan. And the armor, and, um, right? Yes. Yeah. I also bought the, the Black Series one that came out. It was a Walgreens exclusive about a year ago. Oh, yeah, me too. I'm a big toy nerd, by the way. <laughs> a, uh, we're we're going to get to that. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that Obi-Wan um, is great. Yes. And and yes, yeah, I'm that, still waiting for my Kaz Black Series figure. Where is it? <laughs> I, I tell you, I, I, I could rant on that. I mean, I, I picked up the Commander Pyre. Yeah. But we like, <laughs> like uh, Christopher Sean did sign my... Uh, three and three quarter inch calves. Oh, cool. But 
but they never released Tam. I didn't have anything for Susie to sign. I know. It it pains me greatly that I don't have a Tam to go with. And Niku. Tam and Niku. It's like you. Right. I don't know. You know, the way toys are now, maybe we'll see them come out in some form. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know. If you're listening somewhere in the universe, <laughs> we need those two figures. Yes, we do. But yes, Black Series Kaz, please. That's a good idea. Yeah, totally. I would love that. All right, so your last episode was No Place Safe, yeah. which was very near the end of the series. That was the one where you thought Kaz was leaving the Colossus to join the Resistance. Uh, but in an homage to Empire Strikes Back, the First Order sent out all the probes. Yeah. And so they attack. Um, How cool is that orbital probe? That was a neat design. Yeah. Well, and like I was saying, like you come up with these things on paper and, and you think you're pretty cool or they're crafty. And then uh, Justin uh, Ridge, you know, his team, they, they make them a hundred times cooler than it was in your head. And, and that's another toy I want. <laughs> I want to, I want the orbital. Uh, I want, I want a fireball that fits my cast figure and I want an orbital uh, probe droid. Right. Yes. But, you know, one of the things that I was so excited about that that thing in the script is it felt like, um, you know, when, you know, when the first films came out, maybe as a culture, we weren't thinking about satellites as much. Right. Mm-hmm. And the idea that there are droids that are satellites to me was um, I, I loved that idea. I was like, why wouldn't there be? Right. Um, so that's one of the things I loved about getting to include that. Um, and not to backtrack too much, but also the next gen uh, droid, the uh, the racers, the vultures in uh, in the racing episode and the asteroids. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, yeah, that, how, that was a cool those concept. Were incredible, right? And it was so cool to have a little, you know, a little throwback to the the um, prequel trilogies. Mm-hmm. Um, but whenever I think our show got to show like the next gen version of something people were familiar with. I, I loved that it did that. Yeah, you all really did a really good job of mod, like coming up with modern equivalents of prequel tech. Yeah, right? It, it, like, yeah, yeah, that, and, and we should um, say that. Of course, you had uh, battle <laughs> droids in one episode. Yeah, like the design team. God, they they were just killing it. Um, I, I, you know what was cool I didn't see coming is uh, um, Sonara's helmet. I always loved that it was like a uh, – like Lando's helmet in uh, Jedi. Yes. Um, that was a, a nice treat when I finally got to see the episode. Um, yeah. Cause I think on the script, it was just like, you know, and she's wearing a helmet. Um, so, well, I mean, it helped to disguise her. So you didn't realize it was her three episodes later. Totally. Right. And then I loved, uh, it, I loved it, in solo when we saw that helmet again. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. It fit Beckett pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I also loved how the vulture droid you created for the episode, you know, he takes out hype with his mandibles, and then later on, because of the design of the fireball, he can't. Yeah. So I thought that was a nice callback. Yeah, I love I love the fireball so much. It's totally like the Herbie of the Star Wars universe, right? Nice. Nice. Like, you know, it's just... I loved how it was constantly breaking down. You know, the, uh, the episode we're talking about the, um, the, the last one that I got to write, um, the no place safe. It was, 
because Kaz is basically saying goodbye to everyone, emotionally for me, it was the perfect episode for me to, to finish writing the show. Um, cause I was able to really channel, you know, like a, a very heartfelt goodbye. Um, and I knew that, um, it was going to be towards the end. So, you know, my hope is that people were really like, Oh, oh he's leaving. You know, I can't believe it. Yeah. Um, cause you know, there's always like these episodes of shows where, you know, the hero, you know, I'm going to, you know, we're going to surprise. And, you know, it's, if it's like episode two of the first season, like you, you, yeah, okay, well, he'll be back at the end of the episode. And I felt like we were able to construct that in a way where our audience really felt like he was leaving. And it was a nice surprise when he came back. I thought that. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, I think that the his moments with uh, Niku in that episode are just uh, are some of my favorite that I've gotten to work on. The And you did the callback to the trophy. Yes, I like that. Yeah. I was so excited that we got to do that. Um, now you mentioned, uh, about the fireball, like when it's damaged in space and he's working with, um, CB 23 to get it fixed when, when you have a scene with a droid, do you like write out in your mind what CB is saying, or do you just do the one side of the conversation? Um, you know, I think it's, uh, kind of a little bit of both. Um, maybe just because from growing up on, on, you know, a steady diet of star Wars on home video. Um, it's, I just would think back to like conversations with R2 and, and as a writer knowing that we have to kind of tell the audience what R2 is saying by how, you know, Luke is responding to him. And so, you know, um, uh, BB eight was such a well realized character. Um, that going into and then CB, uh, it just you kind of already even though they don't use words, you kind of already know their voice if that makes sense. Um, yeah. I'll tell you when we were working on it and pitching through uh, that moment of the episode, I was very inspired by the Timothy Zahn. Timothy, uh, that's right, the the heir of the Empire series. There was a scene in one of those where where Luke's X-wing is busted up, and him and R two are floating, you know, and they're dead in space, and they're working on it. And I always kind of, I think I was very inspired by that when we were working on the Kaz being in a very similar situation. Nice. It's been so long since I've read those. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I mean, some of my favorite Star Wars moments are in those three books. Um, I've not read a lot of the, uh, what are they, they used to call it the expanded universe. I don't remember what it's called now. Um, legends. Yeah. Legends. I, you know, I haven't read tons of it, but those three books, um, I mean, that's all we had, right? For years and years and years. Like, yeah. Was, yeah. yeah um, that was our sequel. Um, and I, I'm so glad, you know, that elements are, are you know, are going, you know, we're seeing elements in, in, the, shows and, and films now from those. Um, but I remember that, uh, just the, wow, how scary would that be to be just in an X wing that is just dead in space. And now you've got to suit up and, you know, fix it. Yeah, that was a really, and, you, and, you, you made know, it a very tense scene. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and more show specific to resistance, you know, Kaz 
at the beginning of the series would not have been able to get out of that jam. Um, True. You know, uh, so he had come full, full circle from his relationship with people like Jaeger um, because, you know, the, the knucklehead that he is being around those guys in the fireball shop, he learned what he needed to, to fix the fireball. And um, so I think it worked on a lot of levels. So, yeah, yeah, four very memorable episodes from uh, from you on the series, um, and we talked about Sonara and Kaz and the characters you got to write for those episodes. Uh, was there anybody, any character you would have liked to have written more of, or maybe th- for the first time? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I definitely have an answer for that. Um, so I was uh, in the little writers' room group when we uh, uh, broke the episode with Vanessa Doza, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, Tora's mom and uh, Captain Doza's uh, wife. And I love her character and I love her droid. Uh, I think he's uh, Scorch. Is that what we were calling him? I can't remember. Vanessa. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Um, I would love, uh, you know, had, had the show kept going, um, I really, really would have, bothered Brandon to let me do a Vanessa story because <laughs> she's awesome. Um, well, actually I was going to ask you about that. Um, you know, clearly the series wrapped up the arc with Tam and getting her home. Um, but you know, it, it still was a bit away from, uh, rise of Skywalker and the battle of Exegol. There's still a matter of where would the Colossus wind up? Um, yeah, including the Venisa story, what would you have included in a season three? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, I, I don't know if I have, um, I don't know if I have an answer of like what I would do. Um, but I do feel like, man, there are still stories there, right? Like there's still, um, you know, I would think that at some point the Colossus, you know, would join the fleet, right? Would be involved um, in the events of the big films. Um, I think for me, um, I I would want to know more about, and, and I think I've seen fans say this too. I, I, you know, I, I would want to know more about Kaz and his father and... Um, you know, just what exactly everything was going on with there. Um, because Kaz had grown so much from, you know, the kind of rookie, um, goofball. He was really starting to form, right. It's almost like, um, we were watching his origin and by the time the show ends, he's the kind of like major player hero, um, that we see in, in Star Wars shows. Um, but we didn't get to see that part. So I would love to know what happens with Kaz now that he's a more realized, kind of capable, confident hero. Um, I will say, one of the things I, I love about Kaz, um, especially in modern times, is that it was really cool writing a character who, um, you know, barely ever had a gun in his hand (laughs) couldn't you know couldn't really shoot worth a darn um 
he's a different kind of hero and I appreciated that about him. Um, but you know, put him in a fighter and he's in his element. Um, he's yeah. What a, what a cool character. What a fun character. He was, I mean, you saw that development in the first season, like when he takes out Von Reg at the end of the season, right? then he, and then, you know, the scale of the battles just gets bigger in season two leading up to the finale. Totally. You know, I'll tell you, um, I didn't know that was coming. I didn't realize he takes out Von Reg. Um, I, I think I had worked on the batch before that. So I wasn't privy to the details of what was going on. uh, If I remember right. And, uh, I was, I think probably as shocked and kind of excited because Von Reg is such a, uh, I guess I, can I say bastard? (laughs) He's, you know, he's such a, yeah, he's such a bastard. He's taking everyone down that, uh, um, it was shocking that, that Kaz got him, you know, fair and square in a dogfight. Yeah. I felt kind of bad because I had met Lex Lang at that point. Oh, <laughs> at, at and you know, I was like, when I, when I met him, I think they were still in season one. I was like, well, uh, you know, hopefully he sticks around for a while. Cause I like the character. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's a cool, uh, I love when, uh, and I, I was so glad I got to write this when, uh, in the when he shows up to get Torah uh, in uh, the Doza dilemma, um, he's just so cool. Yeah, yes, right. He's so cool and calculating and and cool under fire. And he's you know he feels you're almost like you're glad to see him, but there's just this. You're also like oh man. Yeah, I mean, you figured it was leading because we knew the pirates were working with the First Order. But yeah, for Von Reg to show up and then take out the pirates so he could rescue Tora himself—that was a total shocker. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, well, well orchestrated. Um, uh, you know, by uh, Brandon and team, and then I got to go write it. So that was cool. I'm actually now that we're talking about it, I can't remember the name of the Star Wars game with a little. Uh, um, it's like the, the fighter game. It's like a tabletop game with like the little ships. Oh yeah. I don't know the I'm name. Blanking either. on the name, but since we started talking about it, I, I pulled out the Von Reg, um, fighter. I had, you know, anything resistance that they made. I'm like, I, I have to have that. Um, and yeah, this one actually was a gift from Brandon and I'm, I'm playing with this tie fighter as we speak. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, we got we got the tie, uh, the Lego. Yeah. Version of um, I, I have it. I haven't built it yet. It's in my two build stack. What a great toy. Yeah, it was a neat design. That and um, uh, Griff's uh, racer. Oh, man. Griff's, yeah. Um, I, See, again, I don't know why that was the only two that they did. Where's the, the Lego Fireball? Yeah, I know. I, I really, really, really wanted a Lego Fireball. Um, I'm going to make an assumption uh, that TIE Fighters sell really well. And yeah. so Lego probably knew. They're like, well... If we do, you know, regardless of how many people have seen resistance, TIE fighters, anyone's going to buy a TIE fighter, right? Uh, that's, that was my guess. You yeah. Know. But, um, yeah, I would very, very gladly buy a Lego fireball right now. Me too. I love the hot wheels ones. That was a treat to see the, um, the hot wheels toys come out. It was, it was crazy. I never saw those like locally. And we're on vacation in Florida, and I found the Fireball at a Publix. Wow. 
Yeah, I, I, I never, I never got hype or Torres, but yeah, I, I do have the fireball by sheer luck. Oh, that's awesome! It's yeah, it's such a um, me, you know, like I said, you know, being kind of a toy nerd. For me, seeing something that I got to work on, and then it's branded with the the iconic Hot Wheels logo. You know, I couldn't open it. I was like, this is too cool in the package. I have to leave it the way it is. I, I understand. Usually I'll break it open and like, cause I want it like on the shelf, but there's some things you got to keep in the package. Totally. Yeah. Um, you see, I did want to mention, um, I, I, I'm a Transformers fan as well. If, if Star Wars didn't exist, Transformers would be my deep dive jam. Right. Yeah. Um, so you know, it was cool. Yeah. I noticed, you know, it was cool that you worked on Cyberverse. I didn't realize until just, I double. I was, I was double checking your IMDb uh, to make sure I covered everything. I didn't realize you were working on more Cybertron. Yeah, how cool is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that show was awesome. It's it's the new one on Netflix. Yeah, with, um, I don't know. That, yeah, super proud of how it's uh, it's come together. Um, uh, you know, I had already worked on uh, Cyberverse, Transformers Cyberverse, which was on. I think. It's, it's on YouTube and it's on Netflix in some capacity and it's on Cartoon Network. And, uh, you know, I was a big, big G.I. Joe fan growing up, but I liked Transformers. I just didn't have as many. Um, but like everyone, the 86 movie like blew my mind. It was I mean, that is Transformers for me. And uh, so when, you know, the opportunity came all these years later to you know first work on cyberverse you know i jumped at the chance and i i uh, was thrilled to be there and you know i i love optimus prime you know i i have a very passionate opinion about who he is and you know um, uh what he means and that was really challenged uh when i went over to uh you know so i went to help out on the season one of war for cybertron and and then stayed on uh to work on season two and uh there were days where i was very frustrated because um it's not the optimus prime we all know and i don't know you've you've seen uh the new season uh earthrise i haven't watched no i haven't gone to earthrise yet but um i'll be careful what uh, i say then because uh, i don't want to ruin anything no, it's, no, it's fine. yeah well no i'm i'm a I'm a big nerd about spoilers. Um, but the, uh, once I realized I was, you know, I'm working with uh, FJ DeSanto on that. He's, he's running the story on, on it. Once I kind of realized we're, we're seeing a hero's journey. Uh, and this, you know, it really truly is. It, it's, it's not the optimist that we all grew up on because we're seeing his origin. And once that really clicked, I, I was really able to understand, I think, the difference between War for Cybertron versus um, Cyberverse. Uh, and, and then we've been able to establish some really cool kind of multiverse things. So, um, you know, Randolph Hurd, uh, the head writer uh, in the kind of the, you know, the crafter of the Cyberverse universe, uh, you know, he when he, we did a multiverse episode on that, it really started to kind of put in the, the puzzle pieces of um, looking at the Transformers universe, like a multiverse as well. 
Um, so it really made it once all that kind of started to jive, I, I was able to really enjoy digging in and getting a little bit darker on the Netflix, you know, I work for Cybertron stuff and, Oh man, those episodes are gorgeous. The, uh, Polygon who, who, who the studio that makes it, they know how to make a beautiful looking show. They do. I mean, it's modern, but it takes you back to the old show. Totally. Right. It hits both. Yeah. So yeah, that was really that was really cool to find out you're working on that one too. Yeah, no, I'm really really excited about it, and I'll tell you, very 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 proud of Alita One. Um, uh, it didn't there it didn't make sense to to bring her into Cyberverse, uh, but you know I've I've wanted to write that character for a very long time, and getting to really um, drill down and and see what makes her tick and what is her relationship with Optimus Prime. And, and by relationship, I don't mean like girlfriend, boyfriend. I mean, like as you know, two Cybertronians who care about each other greatly, but have been through hell and are both doing what they think is best for their civilization. That was a, a huge joy to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. I need to watch Earth Rise. Oh, it's, it's, um, it's awesome, man. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that because I worked on it. I'm saying that as a um, mm-hmm. nerd who's buying all the toys. <laughs> like, um, yeah. the, I, I've seen those toys and I'm like, man, I don't need to get started with oh, this. It's this dangerous. Yeah. So uh, after uh, War for Cybertron, I had to get that uh, Jetfire. I had to. And then after Earthrise, um, it's not too spoilery. Let's just say I had to get Skylinks. Yeah, I, I loved Skylinks originally, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah, uh, let me know uh, after you check it out what you think. <clears throat> I, I certainly will. Um, so, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, we've been talking about toys. Uh, your Instagram is a great follow, not just for um, – yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I mean, you post tons of your toy pics. Um, and also, you do a lot of travel, apparently, and you go to some cool places. Uh, I was going to ask you, like, where's your favorite place you've ever been to? Wow. Um, yeah, I think like everyone, I did do a lot of travel until March last year. Um, and I miss it. And I, I, you know, um, I'm no, I'm no Anthony Bourdain. I I would, I would love to be, (laughs) um, I, I think that we can all learn so much by seeing other cultures and, you know, just, um, you know, I grew up in Colorado and I was a little landlocked and I didn't get to leave the country until <clears throat> I was uh, probably around 21, 22 years old. And uh, so I'm trying to make up for it now whenever I have the time. And uh, to answer your question, um, I will say that because that's the thing is you, you, you go to these places and, and, and you fall in love with certain things about them. But then there's other places and you're in love with those things. And so God, I'm like, I if I won the lottery, I would just travel all the time. Um, but Kyoto, uh, was amazing. Uh, I've been to Tokyo a few times and love it for all the obvious reasons. It's amazing. I love it. And, and the people in Japan are great. Um, but Kyoto, I didn't know, I didn't know, you know, you have these like visions in your head of what you think a place will be like, and it, and it defied all of them. Um, I didn't realize it was such a cool city. 
um, as well as you get like the traditional shrines and history. Um, but I will also say that uh, in the last few years, I, I visited Peru and I, I visited uh, Vietnam and uh, both are put them on your bucket list. Everyone is listening, both countries, um, just incredible cities, incredible cultures, incredible people. Vietnam kind of blew my mind, you know, and I grew up in, uh, I grew up in early eighties, right. Where all we really knew was what we saw from like the Vietnam war on TV, right? Like every, every action guy in a movie was a Vietnam vet who had a score to settle or, you know, it was like news footage of like atrocities. Um, and that was kind of what shaded my understanding of Vietnam till I went. And when I went and I saw, you know, I mean, uh, Hanoi is incredible and it's a whole culture. Everyone, it's a culture that like everyone is out on the streets every night and, you know, you, uh, it's, it's a big city and it's, it's dense, but it's like a small town on every block. Right. And mm-hmm every block has Wi-Fi. you know, we, we <laughs> like <laughs> city, city wide Wi-Fi. uh, the America can't even figure out how to do that. Right. So there's, interest- I know, I know we should have it. Um, but we don't, and there's places that do, and you know, we need to be more like that. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. It, I, I I'm glad you brought up travel cause it's, as someone who's fascinated with characters and stories and storytelling, it's, it's been good to, to go other places and see all these other people's and their stories. And I think it fuels hopefully what goes down on the, you know, the pen and paper. Yeah. It's gotta be a great inspiration. And, and I don't uh, want to sound like arrogant about that. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I'm not the smartest dude. I just, um, I, I push myself into these things and then have these experiences and memories from it. Um, and I was very intimidated to do it at first. Um, you know, having grown up pretty modestly in Colorado, um, I, I'm glad that I was pushed and, and uh, yeah, anyways. But Machu Picchu is number one on my bucket list. Oh, it's awesome. I was, I'm jealous that you've been there. <laughs> it's awesome, man. It's as cool as you'd think. Yeah. Um, and the altitude kicks your ass. <laughs> yeah. I kind of got that impression from, um, uh, I think it was Gordon Ramsay uncharted or one of those. Yeah. It's, it's no joke. Like, um, you know, um, it's worth it and there's remedies and, and the, the local people, they know what to do. They know how to take care of you. And, uh, coca, they know how to shove coca leaves in your mouth or give you a coca tea and, would it oxygenate your blood or whatever? <laughs> right. Well, I can't let you go without talking about something I came across. Okay. <laughs> uh, when I was, when I, like I say, I was going through your IMDb, um, and I noticed something called Mystic Cosmic Patrol. Yes. And so I looked it up. Uh, just will you tell people your project? Because yeah. it was pretty cool. Um, so did you get a chance to watch either of them? I watch both. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So, um, it's just a baby that I had in my head for a long time. It was, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of super Sentai and the tokusatsu. Um, I love, you know, 
I'm a big fan of, of like Power Rangers uh, and Ultraman. And, you know, they're goofy. <laughs> they're goofy. And I just thought, what if, you know, what if we were watching Power Rangers meets The Office? And that's how I pitched it. And, uh, you know, Doc Wyatt, who's a friend and writer and producer, uh, and Laura Monaco, who is an actress and friend and producer, we the three of us got together and uh, brought in uh, Tommy Clisp, who uh, helped us produce what you saw. And we really made a go to try to sell sell it as a series. And it just, uh, we just couldn't get it on the right person's desk. Um, but it's two, uh, what I think I'm very proud of, uh, I think funny, 11-minute episodes uh, following the most dysfunctional spandex-wearing, you know, um, Super Sentai team in the galaxy. And uh, uh, Chris Masterson from uh, Malcolm in the Middle um, played the team leader. I thought he was hilarious. Um, Tim Russ, you know, so here's some fun trivia. Way, way, way back, I was a writer's intern on Star Trek Voyager. Oh. Way back. That was one of my first things. I was wondering how you got Tim Russ. Yeah. And uh, I had met Tim through that internship, and he's a super nice guy. And I just... He's you know one of the few people who I, I kept running into, or, or life just kept having us, you know, um, connect. And when writing it, I knew because he's so funny. He's you know you don't get to see him be funny as Tuvok on, on Voyager, but he's very dry sense of humor. And I knew I was like, if if we can make Mister Cosmic Patrol, we have to get Tim Russ to play our our team, you know, our uh, galactic leader who inspires them and. Uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome getting to work with him on that. Um, the whole cast, uh, if once again, if I won the lottery and I could just do whatever the hell I wanted, I would just keep making Mystic Cosmic Patrol episodes, even if it was just for us. Because <laughs> um, it was, it was, I was never more happy or in my element than producing and writing. And, you know, I'm in it. I put myself in it because I wanted to, I wanted to wear spandex and fight monsters. <laughs> um but yeah, I'm, thanks for checking it out. I, you know, the fun thing about where television is now and media and streaming is um, just because we weren't able to sell it then doesn't mean it, it couldn't find a life in some way somewhere. Um, so yeah, Mystic Cosmic Patrol. Go on YouTube and watch it. <laughs> um, uh, I will say that, uh, you know, one of the actors on it uh, who's become a, a good friend, Tim Joe. Um, Tim really, really supported the show and, and really championed me. And that led to two years of, of writing anime that I've, I can't even talk about yet um, because it's not come out. But the thing that Mystic Cosmic Patrol did is it led to some new relationships and some new work. And, and Transformers War for Cybertron kind of is related to that because it's some of the same people. Um, but in the in the next couple of years, I'm going to have a couple of anime projects come out that, to me, are like Star Wars. I'm pinching myself. I can't believe that I'm working uh, on these properties, and uh, I, you know, I can trace some of that back to what we accomplished with Mystic Cosmic Patrol. So. Yes, everybody, please check it out. It's worth a half hour of your time just to sit back and enjoy it. My 
my favorite thing was the time bats. Oh yeah. That's a, that's Doc Wyatt and Doc, you know, Doc, uh, done a lot of stuff and he, uh, he's a fellow resistance writer. Um, he really wanted to have time bats. So that, that definitely is a Doc Wyatt, uh, creation. And the, uh, the soy sauce ketchup. Oh yeah. <laughs> that might've been an improv, um, from, uh, Chris, uh, uh, Chris Candy and, uh, um, uh, uh, Chris Masterson. There's a lot of Chris's on this show, <laughs> but uh, uh, if I remember uh, right. No, that's John Candy's son, right? It is. It is. And he's just as talented and charming. And I will not be happy until I get to work with him again, because, um, He's one of my favorite people I've worked with. Yeah, everybody. Everybody was a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of fun. In, it's a catchy theme song. So. Oh yeah. yeah so they're... you know, um, you might know this. Uh, that was done by Word Burglar, who did the. Uh, he did Rap Viper, which is like a GI Joe rap album. I did not know. Yeah, that. he's awesome, and we reached out because I was just such a big fan of his YouTube video for Rap Viper, and I reached out and I was like, "Hey, you know, I'm making this thing," and and it's like, and he that was like no notes, man. Like that opening theme song, one pass, he just went and did it and gave it to us. And we were like, we love it. That's cool. Yeah. Well, Gavin, thank you very much for taking time with me. Um, mostly to talk about star Wars, but just a lot of other stuff that, um, is really neat. Um, but please tell everybody how they can follow you on, um, Social media oh, yeah. and keep up with the your socials. Work. Yeah, so uh, just uh, Gavin Hignite, uh, G-A-V-I-N-H-I-G-N-I-G-H-T. Uh, at Instagram is probably the most fun. Um, that's where I definitely exercise my toy habit. Uh, and then Gavin Hignite at Twitter. Um, and, uh, you know, that's probably where I'm uh, for projects, you know, and, and writing and stuff. Uh, information comes out there, but um, Instagram is probably the best. Like I said, this is the most fun thing to follow right now. And and by the way, thanks for having me. You know, I uh, uh, like everyone. I've been cooped up in my home for <laughs> nine months, and I'm going crazy. So it's fun to uh, come on and you know just talk about because I I do love all this stuff, man. And I've been so lucky to um, somehow have tricked all these people into letting me write their stories <laughs> so um yeah it's been a fun fun trip well you're welcome and i greatly appreciate you coming on awesome man um but uh everybody can follow uh this show at radio dakar on instagram and twitter uh the previous episodes all my episode reviews previous interviews uh it's on most major podcast platforms anchor Apple, Google, Spotify, Overcast. Um, but again, thank you to Gavin Hignite for joining us to talk about resistance. And thank you to everyone for listening. And until next time, may the force be with you. Thanks, guys.